This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Fred Allen Show was a popular and long-running American old-time radio comedy that starred comedian Fred Allen and his wife, Portland Hoffa. On December 6th of 42, an episode of the program, Allen premiered his first in a series of segments known as Allen's Alley. The segments would have Allen strolling through an imaginary neighborhood, knocking on the doors of various neighbors, including average American Joe Doe, played by John Brown, Mrs. Nussbaum, Minerva Pius, a pompous poet Falstaff Openshaw, played by Alan Reed, Titus Moody, Parker Fennell, and the boisterous Southern Senator Beauregard Claghorn, uh, played by announcer Kenny Delmar. You'll hear the Senator in tonight's show. The memorable feud between Fred Allen and Jack Benny of the Jell-O program began in 1936. Allen had one of his guests in the amateur portion of his program feature professional violinist Stuart Cannon, the then 10-year-old Cannon, performed Schubert's The Bee on his violin. And after that rendition of the classic, Allen made reference to, quote, a certain alleged violin player who should be ashamed of himself, noting that the not-so-good violin playing synonymous with Benny. For a decade, the two exchanged insults on both men's shows so convincingly that fans of either show might have believed they'd become blood enemies. In fact... The two men were good friends and admired each other greatly. Benny and Alan often appeared on each other's shows during the feud, both in acknowledged guest spots and surprise cameos as well. On one Christmas program, Alan thanked Benny for sending him a Christmas tree and then added that the tree had died. Quipped Alan, well, what do you expect when the tree's in Brooklyn and the sap is in Hollywood? <laughs> and a bonus treat. Jack Benny is Fred Allen's guest in tonight's show. <laughs> The Ford Dealers of America present the Fred Allen Show. The Fred Allen Show with Fred's guest, a friend of Nature Boys named Jack Benny. Fulton Hoffa, Minerva Pius, Peter Donald, Parker Fenley, the DeMarco sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And this is Kenny Delmar speaking for your friendly Ford dealer. If you haven't yet seen the car of the year, the one and only new car in its field... By all means, ask your Ford dealer to show you the 49 Ford tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry that I haven't been here the last few weeks to introduce our star, but tonight I'm back. And here I am again, Portland Hoffa. <laughs> Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Portland, where where have you been the last six weeks? Well, I have to 
stay home with Mama. Oh, really? Why? Mama lost a fortune. How? Every Sunday, Mama sat home and they didn't call her. Who didn't call her? Stop the music. (laughs) Oh, how, uh... (laughs) You can do better. You're just feeling them out. I... How come you're uh, <laughs> How come you're out tonight? Well, Mama got a sitter. Oh, a babysitter? No, they have sitters for stop the music. No kidding. Mm-hmm. If you want to go out, the sitter answers the phone and sits with the eighteen thousand dollars until you get home. <laughs> that is, uh, they're the Lever Brothers again. Thank you, boy. <laughs> Say, if you were. Say, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's some profession, a quiz sitter. Oh, everybody's listening to Stop the Music. Oh, I know that. According to the latest Hooper survey, the only one who listens to our program is Edgar Bergen. <laughs> and even he's gone away, so tonight we're just... Radio programs today are giving everything away. I know. Radio is the Marshall Plan with music. <laughs> The slogan of the quiz program is, if you can't entertain people, give them something. (laughs) Just don't waste their time. Have them hanging around if nothing happens. You should change the name of this program to Stop the Comedy and give away new boards. I should change it to Stop the Comedy. (laughs) See, that's not a bad idea. Well, Portland, this is our last program for the summer. Is this the last? You'll mention Jack Eigen. Yes, it looks that way. <laughs> if there's anything, there's Mr. Eigen. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> In case we call on him for a personal appearance later, you know. If there's anything you'd like to say since this is our last program, you know, before we finish. Well, I have some things that you cut out during the winter. Oh, really? What things? I had a song. What was the title of the song? When they find out about phenobarbital in Tennessee, it'll be sleepy time down south. I can't imagine why I cut that out. And I had some jokes. Really? What, uh, what jokes? One was about the man who ate nothing but radishes for 20 years. Ate radishes for 20 years? In his old age, he went down to Long Island and lived on the sound. <laughs> What what are you laughing at? Well, to me, that's very funny. Really? Well, if you ever came up before a juvenile jury for telling that joke, you would get 30 days in the playpen. (laughs) Say, it's getting late, Portland. I think I'd better start for Alan's Alley. What is your question tonight? Well, this is our last program. I'm just going down to the alley and say goodbye to our friends and to ask them where they plan to spend their vacations this summer. Shall we go? As the chorus girl said when the bee lit on her shin, I think I'll shake a leg. What a night in Allen's Alley, Portland. The front of Senator Claghorn's fence is gone. He must have given somebody the gate. Oh, well, let's, uh, let's see if the senator's in. I see somebody whap my watches. Oh, it's you, son. Yes, Senator. Well, let's go, son. I'm busier than an Arthur Murray hostess trying to teach a pupil with St. Vitus dance. 
You're busy? Yeah, I've been over to Philadelphia attending that Republican convention. Oh. I ain't seen so much hot air since the night I opened the wrong door in that Turkish bath. <laughs> what about the Republican candidate, Senator? Well, Dewey ain't never going to get little old Harry out of the White House. Who says so? Petrillo says so. Petrillo? <laughs> Nobody can take no piano player off of no job unless Petrillo says so. I imagine you saw some amusing sidelights at the convention, Senator. Yeah, I enjoyed one incident. <laughs> <laughs> what was it, Senator? Well, one day my hat blew into a saloon. I stepped in to get it. A man was sitting at the bar asleep. Yeah? As I picked up my hat, the man woke up. He looked up at the television. Herbert Hoover was making a speech. Yeah? A man blinked his eyes and said, If Hoover is president, what am I doing with three dollars in my pocket? <laughs> This is our last visit together. What are you going to do this summer? I'm going to the beach, son. I see. I'm going to put on my bathing suit. Yes? I'm going to sprawl out on that hot sand. Yeah? And then I'm going to do what all our senators do all the rest of the year in the Senate. What? Just keep lying. So long, so son. Long. So long, Eddie. Well, when the senator gets sprawled out, there'll be something new under the sun. Oh, well, let's, uh... Let's wake up Mr. Moody. Howdy, Bob. <laughs> well, Mr. Moody, are you going away for a vacation? Oh, I can't. I'm renting my barn for summer theater. Oh. <laughs> Last summer, I cleaned up. Made $180. $180. Uh, what happened? Well, sir, one day I was out in the yard. Yeah? I was buttering the trees so caterpillars couldn't crawl up them. <laughs> And a fella comes up. Yeah? He's carrying a bamboo cane, and in his tie, he's got a diamond. A diamond, eh? Yeah. It's as big as a Luton cough drop, and it's about the same yellow color. <laughs> yeah? I smelt donuts on this fella's breath, so I knowed he was an actor. <laughs> yeah? He says, he says, Rube... I'm here to rent your barn for Orson Buskin and his touring Shakespearean players. Uh-huh. It's a deal, I says. Oh, he was the advance man. He didn't say. Oh, he didn't say. <laughs> the next day, Orson Buskin, his leading lady, Anna Cesario... Yeah. ...and the Shakespearean players arrived in town. They swung off a freight train. The, uh... <laughs> the actors, eh? Yeah. They looked like a mob that had just broke a hunger strike. I see. Well, sir, that night the show opened. It's Hamlet. Hamlet. All the Shakespearean actors is wearing long black underwear. Tights? Loose on most of them. (laughs) The leading ladies was baggy. Oh. (laughs) In the back. Oh. Orson Buskin is strutting around the stage, holding a skull and saying... Alas, poor Boric, I knew him well. Well, how was the show? Rotten. (laughs) The audience throwed 200 eggs at the actors. Well, if the show was so bad the audience threw eggs, how did you make $180? I was in the lobby selling the eggs at 90 cents a dozen. So long. (laughs) With, With 200 eggs, Mr. Moody could lay on with McDuff. Oh, well, let's, let's try this next door. Hi, 
Jeffy. Ah, Mrs. Nussbaum. Oh, you're wearing a corsage. What are those flowers? Lilies of the alley. I see. In the center, there's a nasty urchin. Oh, the, uh, the nasty urchin looks pretty. My little niece is graduating Mrs. Buxbaum's finishing academy. Oh, and you're dressed up? You went to the graduation? My niece is valedictatorial. Oh, swell. She's reciting a poem. What was her class poem? She's calling it Ever Onwards. Ever Onwards. How does it go? Fare thee well, Mrs. Buxbaum's finishing academy. You learned us all that we are knowing. Yeah. Never backwards, sideways, up or downwards, but ever onwards we are going. Say that. <laughs> well, tell me, Mrs. Nussbaum, where are you going on your vacation this year? No place. No? Last year we are stopping by Kramer's Castle in the Catskills. And uh, you're not going back? Pierre is gaining 90 pounds. 90 pounds? How come? By Kramer's, when it is time to eating, they are blowing a bugle. A bugle, huh? The first day the bugle is blowing, we are eating breakfast. Uh-huh. Barely we are sitting on the veranda. Yeah. Again is blowing the bugle. Yeah. We are going back, also eating again breakfast. Uh-huh. They're coming out, again is blowing the bugle. You ate again? All day long is blowing the bugle. And you and Pierre? Three breakfasts. Two lunches with four dinners we are eating. And this kept up? Every day. So soon we are finished eating. Toots is blowing the bugle. Again, <laughs> we are having to eat it. Well, isn't that unusual? Kramer's Castle serving so many meals a day? Ultimately, they are discovering. Discovering what? Who is blowing the bugle is not Kramer. Well, who? <laughs> who then? In back of Kramer's castle in the Catskills... Yes? ...is living a Boy Scout, thank you. <laughs> now, for the last time, let's call on Mr. Cassidy. Mr. Cassidy, you were... Mr. Cassidy, you have a black eye. I have that. I look as though my eyeball is passing through a total eclipse. Tell me, who gave you the peeper? Sure, nobody gave it to me. I had to fight half an hour to get it. What, uh, what happened? Well, yesterday, you see, I was invited to a wedding. Yeah? Knocko Nolan's homely daughter married Mullet Muldoon's half-witted nephew. Oh, this is... This was some affair. At the wedding breakfast, I was suddenly taken frosty. Yeah? So says I to Knocko, I'll take a little punch. Uh-huh. With that, Knocko rolls up his sleeve and gives it to me. Well, Mr. Cassidy, are you and your eye going away for your summer vacation? Uh, now, why should I go away? What have they got any place else that we haven't got here in New York? Well, they have water. Sure, we got sewers backing up on every street in the city. <laughs> Well, they have scenery. Me front window overlooks a brewery. You can't find scenery any finer than that. Well, that's true. Ah, uh, when the sun slowly sinks behind the big pile of steaming malls in the brewery yard, to the picture Fitzpatrick will never show you in a travelogue. But, but how can you escape the intense heat here in New York? Well, no, I, I, I do what Rinty Monahan does. What? Well, when the heat gets so bad, Rinty can't stand it. Yes? Rinty starts insulting Grogan the cop. Insulting him? Um, insulting him how? Well, Rinty yells at Grogan, Ah, your grandfather is gargantuan. Yes? Then he yells, Your aunt sleeps with her eyes open. 
Yeah. And for the clincher, he yells, Ah, your mother wears army shoes. <laughs> well, we just, Grogan the cop gets mad. Naturally. But how does Rinty escape the heat? Grogan calls the wagon. Yes. And rushes Rinty off to the municipal deep freeze. The municipal deep freeze? The cooler. The oh. <laughs> Farewell joint appearance the five DeMarco sisters and Maestro Al Goodman blend their talents to bring us Fellow with an Umbrella. I met a fella, a fella with an umbrella, looking for a girl who saved her love for a rainy day. I met a fella, a fella with an umbrella. Fred. Yes, Kenny? There's a policeman outside to see you. A policeman to see me? Well, why should a policeman... Shh, here he comes, Fred. You Fred Allen? Well, yes, officer. You work for the Ford dealers, don't you? Yes, officer. Allen, you got to stop talking about the new Ford car. You're violating the law. It's against the law to talk about the new Ford? You're causing crowds to congregate. Crowds? What crowds? All day there's crowds in front of that Ford dealer's window on Broadway. Oh, uh, don't worry about crowds blocking traffic in front of a Ford dealer's showroom, officer. It's happening all over the country. Never mind all over the country. You got to get rid of them crowds on Broadway. But, officer, that dealer is displaying the new 49 Ford. There never was a car like this before. It's new and revolutionary in its field. The new Ford is a big, roomy car, safer and more economical to operate. And it hits a new high and smooth, comfortable ride. Don't give me no commercials. Yeah, but, officer, the new Ford... The new Ford is the talk of the automobile trade. It has the look of the year. In fact, it's the car of the year. You can't blame everyone for wanting to see it. I'm not blaming nobody. Just get rid of them crowds. Why, officer? I want to have a look at that new Ford myself. (laughs) Say, uh, Portland, Portland. Yes? We've got to get busy. This is our last program of the season at NBC, you know. I, I know. And as soon as we finish, I'll sweep out the studio. Yes, and give the broom back to the vice president in charge of brooms on, on the next floor. <laughs> and you know what else you have to do? Yes, I have to wipe off the acoustics. Yes, have the acoustics good and dry when we leave. Pick up any racing forms the musicians leave behind. <laughs> and any parlays, turn them right over to me. And when the program is over, if anybody in the audience is sleeping, yes. I'm to wake them up and tell them to go home until I... October. Right. Well, I guess that's everything, Portland. I'll say goodbye to you now. Have a nice vacation. I'll see you in the fall. 
Oh, are you going now? Yes, I have to. Jack Benny's sailing for England. I promised to see Jack off. I bought him this travel book. Look, Fielding's new travel guide to Europe. Say, it's late, Portland. I better start for Jack's hotel. So long, Portland. Ah, this must be the Benny Suite. There's a do bill sticking out under the door. I wonder if old Tacit Pockets is in. Oh, hello, friend. Jack Benny. Well, uh, well, Jack. Come on in, Fred. I'm packing. Oh, packing. Go right ahead. Sit down. Like something to drink? Uh, no, thanks. Coke, Seven Up, Crown Cola? No, no. I'm closing them out. They're only four cents a bottle. Four cents with two straws. <laughs> two straws. Yeah, if you buy a bottle, I'll join you, and I hope you do. Sam Thirsty. No, no, Jack. I just came over to say goodbye. Why? Well, I thought you'd be all packed. No, and I've been riding around on the subway all day. Why? It was my last chance. Last chance in the subway? Next Thursday, the fare goes up to ten. <laughs> I'm riding while the price is right, brother. <laughs> but, Jack... Ten cents for a subway ride. Well, I didn't do if it. If Ralph Edwards hadn't made me the walking man, this would have done it. <laughs> I better finish packing, huh? Well, look, as you're packing, you can't pack this bathing suit, Jack. Look, it's still wet. I know. And what about this little package here? Oh, that's a carton of Lucky Strikes. I bought them in New Jersey, you know. Oh? <laughs> Well, why go all the way to Jersey to buy a carton of cigarettes? Oh, it's a nice trip. Besides, I saved 24 cents tax there. <laughs> well, how could you save 24 cents? It cost 20 cents to get to Jersey and back on the ferry. Well, I didn't go on the ferry. Well, how did you get across the Hudson River? Give me that bathing suit. I'll ring it. <laughs> Jack... Be careful. One sleeve and the skirt are still dripping. Now, that's the, that's the trouble with these Annette Kellerman models. I told Annette the day she gave it to me. Yeah. Annette, I said, if you can keep it from dripping, you can make a fortune. Hey, I, I just remember, Jack, I brought you this book. Here, Fielding's New Travel Guide to Europe. Thanks, Fred, but I've got my trip all planned. Oh, where are you going to stay in England? Well, Ronnie and Benita Coleman recommended a place they said I'd like. Yeah? His Majesty's Trailer Camp. <laughs> it's run by Sir Herbie Harrison. Sir Herbie? Yeah, he's the Howard Johnson of England. <laughs> well, you're all set. Where else are you going? Well, I may fly over to France for a week or two of, uh, parley-booing. Yeah? <laughs> they say, uh... Have you, uh, have you got a place to stay in France? Yeah, you see, Charles Boyer gave me an address. Oh, a French trailer camp? No, it's Hildegard's aunt. Oh. <laughs> she rents rooms in the Eiffel Tower. Oh, Hildegard. <laughs> in the, uh, in the Eiffel Tower? How are you going to get around? Do you speak French? Oh, I'm learning. I'm learning, Fred. We. We? That means us in French. <laughs> No kidding. Yeah, listen to this, Fred. Ki akashe le rossignol suma petit. Oh, boy, do you rattle it off. 
That's a what? Uh, that's all French. Now, what does that mean in English? Who is hiding the nightingale under my strudel? <laughs> well, won't, uh, won't that be a difficult sentence to work into a conversation? <laughs> no, 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 no. You see, I'm carrying a nightingale with me. Oh. <laughs> strudel, I can get any place. <laughs> well, look, Jack, it's time to go. With my luck, that's the bellboy. Come in. Uh, are you ready to check out, Mr. Benny? Yes, boy, you can take my bag. Well, how about the tip, Mr. Benny? The tip? You haven't carried my bags down yet. I mean for carrying them up four days ago. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I'll settle the whole thing in the lobby. May have to break an annuity. The gents will be surprised. Now, come on, come on, Jack. Boy, don't squeeze that paper bag. It's my nightingale. Come on. Well, the lobby's... The lobby's empty. Jack, let's go over to the desk. You can check out. Okay, say, clerk. Oh, yes, Mr. Benny. Here's your bill. Thank you, clerk. I'll just check these items over oh, here. Oh, come on, Jack. It's getting late. I'll just be a minute, Fred. Let's see. I got my magnifying glass here. Let's see. <laughs> clerk, what is my total bill? Uh, $43.80. <laughs> Mr. Benny has fainted. Yeah, he fainted the last time he was here. He's got to make that boat, clerk. Bellboy, carry these bags and Mr. Benny out to the cab. Boy, put Mr. Benny down until his bill is paid. <laughs> but, clerk, Mr. Benny's unconscious. Then go through Mr. Benny's pockets and get the money. Well, all right. Oh, shoot. What's wrong? His pockets are locked. <laughs> Boy, put Mr. Benny in the safe until he comes through. But he'll miss the boat, clerk. I'll pay the bill. It's $43.80. Well, here you are. Thanks. Boy, you carry Mr. Benny's bags. I'll carry Mr. Benny and his nightingale. Well, Jack, here's your boat. Yes, sir. The Queen Beulah. <laughs> heard of the Queen Mary and the Queen Elizabeth. Well, this is a sister ship. The Queen Beulah? Yeah, she's really a stepsister. Oh, know? a step. <laughs> Say, this man coming with the wet anchor, he must be the captain. Oh, boy, mates, welcome to the Queen Beulah. Shiver me timbers, I'm glad to have you aboard. Well, I'm not sailing, Captain. I'm seeing Mr. Benny off. Uh, very well, I'll check your passport, Mr. Benny. Here you are. Mm. Something wrong? Well, this picture. <laughs> well, Captain, you know... Passport pictures. But this is a shrunken up old bloke with no hair and no teeth. But, uh... I can't accept this passport, Mr. Benny. This picture ain't you. But, Captain... Jack, you want to get to England, don't you? Yeah. You better take off your toupee. <laughs> All right. There you are, Captain. Well, that takes care of the scalp. Jackie. Yes? You better take out your teeth. <laughs> Okay, how's that, Captain? Well, now you resemble the picture, Mr. Benny. You're a shrunken up old bloke. All the embarrassing things. I bet Lana Turner didn't go through all of this. <laughs> Jack, Jack, quit complaining. It's your own fault. Where was the picture taken? Warner Brothers. They do it to me every time. <laughs> all right now, Mr. Benny, if you'll give me your ticket, I'll show you to your cabin. My ticket? Uh, yes. Maybe you, maybe you put it in your stocking with your money. No, no, I'm wearing liquid stocking. Oh, it can't be. <laughs> well, don't, don't bother looking, sir. I'll just check the list. Now, you're traveling first class, Mr. Benny. First class? Yes. 
Well, not exactly. Oh, if you're going second class, that's three flights down. Okay, Fred, take my luggage. Right, Jack, I've got everything. It's down these stairs. Say, Jack, this package under my left arm, it seems to be getting bigger. It's probably unfolding. It's a deck chair. You brought your own deck chair? You know, they rent them here, you know. <laughs> Say, who is this woman coming up the stairs? She's blowing up water wings there. Can I help you, gentlemen? I'm the matron, second class. Oh, will you show Mr. Benny to his cabin? May I see your ticket, Mr. Benny, please? My ticket? Don't bother. I'll check your name. You're sailing second class? Well, not exactly second class. <laughs> oh, third class. That's three flights down. Thank you. It's down here, Fred. Just follow me. Jack, I don't get it. A guy with your money can certainly afford to travel first or second class. Fred, I may be a lot of things, but there's one thing I'll never be. What's that? A snob. A snob. <laughs> A snob? When I travel, I like to be with people. Well, if you go any lower, you'll be with fish. (laughs) Well, I think we're in third class now. Gosh, I'm going to look funny in my beret. Everybody down here is wearing babushkas. (laughs) Hi, gents. Uh, Welcome to third class. Who are you? The third and chance. Oh, will you show Mr. Benny to his cabin? Cabin? You mean hammock, don't you, bud? Well, all right, to his hammock. That's better. What's your number, Buster? Number? Yeah, didn't you get a number with your ticket? My ticket? You're third class, ain't you? Well... Jack, you... (laughs) You must be third class. I'll check. Steward? Yeah? Is the coast clear? Yeah. Sam sent me. (laughs) Oh, Sam sent you. Oh, that's two flights down. Two more flights? Yeah, go through the decompression chamber and turn left. Come on, Fred. What is this? Who is Sam? A sailor I met at Roseland. He said if I ever went on the Queen Beulah to mention his name. Here we are, Fred. Put the bags down. Gosh, it's dark in here, Jack. It sure is. Hey, Jack. Something is licking my face. No kidding? It's a a cow. Why, the place is crawling with cows. Good, I'll have fresh milk all the way over. Jack Benny, the star of the Lucky Strike program. You, You think you are on the contented hour. Fred, not so loud. How can you travel down in the bottom of this boat? No room, no bed. Fred, quiet. Well, you can't stay in here with all of these cows. They can't do this for you, Jack Benny. I'll get the captain. Fred, will you shut up? Shut up. You're going to England, aren't you? Yes. You've got your ticket, haven't you? Well, you haven't got a ticket. I knew you were cheap, but going to Europe is a stowaway. Look, Alan, give me my nightingale and go already. <laughs> Benny, you can't get away with this. The captain will find you down here with all these cows, and then what are you going to say? Moo.
to thank Jack Benny for dropping in. After tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we won't be here to remind you that your Ford dealer extends you a standing invitation to stop in and let him show you the new Ford. He'll be glad to have you get inside a new Ford and handle the controls. And he will also explain the new engineering features to you. Everyone's saying the new Ford is the car of the year. You'll say the same thing after you visit your Ford dealer. Thank you, and good night until October 3rd. Thank you. Good night. Stay tuned for Inner Sanctum, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Inner Sanctum and the episode entitled Lady with a Plan. Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Welcome once again, friends of the Inner Sanctum. Don't hesitate, come right in. Once you get used to these grim surroundings, you'll never leave. Nobody ever does. Once you're in, you're out. <laughs> this is the kind of place that grips you. <laughs> the kind of place where the bars hold and no holes are barred. So, come right in. Your only ticket of admission is your promise not to tell anybody about anything you may happen to hear tonight. And now for tonight's tale. Lady with a Plan. Written especially for Inner Sanctum by Michael Sklar and Richard Manoff. And starring Elspeth Eric. It concerns a lady living in strange confinement. And her fiendish scheme for escape. Moore Penitentiary is a sprawling mass of gray granite on a deserted landscape. To this grim and forbidding place has come a man with a purpose. To visit with Gladys Cross. He's a newspaper writer. And she is tomorrow's feature story. It's not a pretty story. I'll tell it right from the beginning. I'm no stranger to Moore Prison. I was a bride when I first came here. Wife of the warden. First lady of Moore Prison. <laughs> what a laugh. It was a strictly business proposition. Edward got a wife and I got security. And what I thought was a convenient way of life. But after two years of living like a prisoner in a house that was inside the walls of a jail, with a man who was 15 years older than I was, I'd had enough. But... Edward had other ideas. Divorce. You don't mean a word of it, Gladys. Stop telling me what I mean. Will you give me a divorce? When you're feeling less excited, we can discuss this sensibly. No, you can't put it off. I've had all I can take. I don't understand you, Gladys. I've been a model husband. Model husband? You've treated me the way you treat your prisoners. You don't beat them. You grind away at their nerves until their minds are so much mush. I'm getting out before it's too late. You're staying here with me where you belong. If you won't give me a divorce, I'll leave without it. Gladys, don't be a fool. No matter where you go, I'll bring you back. And I don't want to hurt you. You can't threaten me. Not you, my dear. 
I'm thinking of him. Him? How do you... What are you talking about? <laughs> well, there is a man. You're inhuman. No, dear. Just a model husband. Trying to keep his home intact. <laughs> there was another man. Stephen Bromley and I are in love. Drawn together by a hate for more prison. Stephen was the assistant warden. I got word to him that I had to see him. To meet me that night at our secret rendezvous. A deserted side road two miles from the prison. When I got there in my car soon after dark, I didn't have long to wait. Stephen? Yes, Gladys. I came as fast as I could. Here, get in the car so we can talk. Something is wrong. I spoke to Edward this afternoon. He refused the divorce. And he threatened me if I left. He suspects there's someone else. What? He doesn't suspect it's me. You, his assistant, he'd never suspect you. He will eventually. We've got to get away. But Edward threatened me. Edward, Edward. Look ahead, Gladys. You know what'll happen? You've seen it happen to the prisoners. You'll snap. Your nerves will give way. He'll, he'll break you. Stephen, stop it. You know there's no way out. There is. Your game. I know what you're thinking, but that's impossible. We could never get away with it. If we could, would you do it? Tell me how. Bucky Briggs. Briggs, the life? Uh-huh. I can have him transferred to work in the laundry. Assigned to handle your stuff when you bring it down. What are you getting at? Bucky hates the warden worse than you do. Given half the chance, he'd strangle him in a second. Now talk to him. Begin to feel sorry for him. Let him think you want to help him make a break. Then what? Then all we've got to do is give him the chance to use his hands on Edward. For two hours, we talked. By the time we parted, our plan had been worked out in detail. It was a plan for murder. Murder with clean hands. <clears throat> the next morning, I took my soiled linens and drove across the prison yard to the laundry. Bucky Briggs came out to the car. He didn't even look up at me. Where is it? In the back of the car. Here, let me open the door for you. I've heard quite a bit about you, Briggs. You want to take your fresh stuff home? But I don't really believe what they say. Look, lady, the warden needles me enough. I don't have to take it from you, too, see? Well, I don't know what you mean, now. You want your fresh laundry, don't you? In a minute. I just want you to know that I'm interested in your case, Bucky. So is your husband. I'll get your laundry now. All right, Bucky. The seed was planted. All it needed was time. I began to plan the visits to the laundry in advance. The remarks I would use dropped intimately and at close quarters out of the earshot of others. And after a month, it came like the fulfillment to a patient prayer. I was at the laundry waiting for Bucky to bring my clean stuff to the car. He came out, stepped into the car, took a quick glance around... And suddenly slipped close to me. It's up to you, baby. Get me out of here and then it'll be you and me all the way. The deal? I've got it all figured out, Bucky. You don't waste time, beautiful. Give me the dope. Tomorrow, when I come back. Be ready. Check. I'll get way to some friends to pick me up on the outside. Just one more thing. My husband. It'll be a pleasure, baby. I made a final check with Stephen and then everything was set. 
I was sitting in the car the next day when Bucky came out. I reached over the front seat and opened the rear door for him. Get in, Bucky. And stay down. Spot me. It's been fixed. The guard's busy on the other side. Where are we going? To the house. What about the warden? He's in town today. Stop asking so many questions. Okay, baby. This is your show. Just make it good. This is the back of the house. Not a soul in sight. Now follow me out, Harry. That's the cellar door. Open it, Bucky. Right. Colvin, hide in there. You may have a long wait. I got patience, baby. I've been waiting two years for this. When it's clear, I'll call you. Three bangs on the steam pipe. I get you. That's when I take over. Our room is directly overhead on the second floor. Check. All right, Bucky. Get in the bin. Hold on, baby. That's no way to say goodbye. What? I like them personal. Like this. No, not now, Bucky. No. It's more like it. Something to remember you by. Edward returned an hour later. I was puttering around the dinner table too jittery to sit and wait for the commotion to break. And then, quicker than I expected, it happened. Sirens. That must be the break. I know they can't get away with the break here. Hello. What the devil's happened? Please. Form a searching party and wait for me. I'm coming over. Briggs is broken out. Any thought of how he did it? Nobody won't get far. I'll find him. And when I do, I'll break him for good. That a boy, Warden. You show him. But instead of listening to that alarm, you should have paid more attention to that wife of yours. Because that siren is cooking up something that'll be a real scream. <laughs> and now, back to our lady with a plan. <laughs> and what a plan. Her husband, Warden Cross of Moore Penitentiary is searching for Bucky Briggs, an escaped convict. But Gladys has hidden Bucky in the cellar of the house. He's waiting there now to kill the warden. And Gladys, she's waiting too. For murder. I went up to bed after Edward left. And lay there tense. The sirens had stopped. For hours there was dead quiet everywhere. And close to midnight, I heard the door open downstairs. It was Edward. I could tell from his footsteps that he was tired, defeated. I lay perfectly still, waiting for him to come in. Curtis. Yes? You still up? Yes. Got away. Incredible. Got away. No one knows how. I didn't answer. He was a different person. Harried. 
shaken. I watched him as he undressed. He looked suddenly older than ever, and I felt a sickening revulsion at the dejected spectacle he had become. I lay perfectly still as he slipped into bed and fell off to sleep. He was fast asleep now. I reached down over the side of the bed for my shoe and softly tapped its heel against the steam pipe. Edward was still asleep. I lay back and waited. Slowly. Slowly. And Bucky's silhouette stood outlined in the half-light from the hall. He moved quietly into the room right past me. In a moment, his big, hulking figure, looking more gorilla-like than ever, stood towering over Edward's bed. I saw his hands reach out cautiously for Edward, but just a moment too late. Get away from me. Get away. This is the payoff, one. Edward was awake, and like a flash, he twisted out of Bucky's reach. I sat there paralyzed as he to the floor. I didn't move. I didn't speak. And he understood. You'll never get away with this. Shut him up, Easy, baby, easy. Another squeeze of his throat. There. Just like you wanted him. I want to see for myself. You don't have to. When I twist her neck, it stays twisted. Dead. He's dead. Now get me out of here. There's a rope and a scaling hook behind the cellar door. Check. Stick close to the house until you reach the hedge. Then out across the south wall gate. Check. All right, I'll go. Did you forget something? What? Come here. Oh, wait, that Bucky, please. Now, gotta do this more often. I'm getting the light. Please go. Okay. Just one thing. Remember, wait two hours before you turn in the alarm. I'll be waiting for you out there. Goodbye, baby. <laughs> As soon as he was gone, I glanced at my watch and followed the second hand around twice. Now I was ready. Hello. Hello, who is this? It's Mrs. Cross. Bucky Briggs was hiding in our cellar all the time. He's killed my husband. What? Do something before it's too late. Which way to go? Toward the south wall. Right. I'll put the phone down. My part was over. The rest was up to Stephen in the main tower. I waited five seconds, ten seconds, twenty seconds. Then all of a sudden it came like a million shrieking demons. From the window I saw the long fingers of the searchlights pointed at the south wall. And pinned beneath the glaring lights was Bucky. Frantically pulling his way up the rope. 
I watched as the bullet hit all around him, picking puffs of powder off the stone wall. One of them had to find his mark. But he shut it, then caught himself. He was hit, he had to fall, but he didn't. Hand over hand, he started up again, higher and higher. He was hit again, but he didn't stop. And then before I could realize what had happened, he was over the top and gone. Hello? Mrs. Cash? You found him on the outside? No, not a trace him. Okay, got away. But how? He was hit twice. That's right. A car must have picked him up. But we'll get him. Unless those bullets kill him first. He's got to die. He can't live. He mustn't live. Don't worry, Mrs. Cross. We'll find him. Dead or alive. I hung up. Dazed. Now Bucky was out there. Waiting for me. A light. A machine gun. He knew now that I'd double-crossed him. And he was waiting out there to kill me. The next week was a nightmare. Edward's funeral, the messages of condolence. No chance to see Stephen alone. And then one night a week later, he came to me. Nervous, worried. We messed it up, Gladys. No trace of Briggs, which means he's alive and out there. That's not so safe for you. But we're safe here. Of course, Gladys. But we just happen to be leaving here. Oh, no, Stephen, I'm not going. That's impossible. The new warden's arriving next Tuesday morning. Oh, I haven't thought of that. Gladys, even if you could stay on, I'd argue against it. But what about Briggs? It's a big world out there, remember? We'll get lost in it, you and I. So lost that no one will ever find us. Not even Briggs. Say you'll go. Well, I have no choice, I suppose. Good girl. Now, listen. Got it all figured out. My resignation is in, takes effect next Tuesday night. Tuesday morning, you take the train to New York and head straight for the Hotel Empress. Don't budge out of your room. I'll be along in the evening, okay? You're not listening. I was thinking of something. What? Something Edward said when he died. Hmm? You'll never get away with this. Tuesday morning, I was on the train for New York. It was a short, pleasant trip. And my fears began to disappear. Once I reached the crowds of Grand Central Station, I knew I'd be safe. I threaded my way through the crowd. Just one of thousands of people. And suddenly, there was a hand on my shoulder. Hello, baby. Bucky. What are you de- doing here? How did you find me? I've been waiting for you, baby. Like I said, I got friends back there. The grapevine tipped me off when you was leaving, and here I am. But, but, but I... The bullets? <laughs> Just like nothing. Takes a lot to stop me. Come on, let's get out of here before some bulls bust me. No, wait, Bucky. Just, just give me a minute. I've got to call my hotel to, to hold my room for me. Can't I wait? Well, if I don't call, they'll cancel it. Okay, but only a minute. Make your call over there so I can keep my eye on you, sweetheart. I don't want to lose you. Bucky had nodded toward a drugstore. It was a slim chance, but it was better than I'd expected. I entered the store, made a quick dash for the other door. I flung it open and raced madly toward the taxi stand. Over my shoulder, I caught a glimpse of Bucky. He'd seen me. Hey, wait a minute. I ran to the cab and jumped in. 
Hotel Empress in a hurry and lose that cab behind us. Okay, lady, this is the Empress. We shook that other cab. I headed toward the entrance. Just as I entered, I caught a quick glimpse of a cab pulling up to the curb, but I couldn't stop to see. I rushed into the hotel, up to my room, and locked myself in. Before I even had time to think, the phone rang. Hello? Hello, Mrs. Cross. I just sent a gentleman up to see you. I banged the receiver down. So it was Bucky in that cab. I had to get out. There was only one elevator, and I couldn't try the stairs because I didn't know which Bucky would use. I had only one way out, the desperate way, and I decided to take it. I unlocked the door. I turned off the light. And I took a pair of scissors from my handbag and waited behind the door. I wasn't a moment too soon. Come in. I pressed against the wall behind the door and watched it open slowly. Then leaping forward, I plunged the scissors into his back. It's me, Stephen. Stephen! You said you were coming at night. I... What? I left earlier to surprise you. Why didn't you phone? You haven't arrived yet. Uh, Oh, Stephen. Stephen. Dead. Hello, baby. Bucky! Surprised to see me, huh? Hey, who's that? Steve Bromley. You've done him in. Nice work, baby, but why the chase? I, I had to run. I... I understand. The screw was following you. Thought you'd lead him to me. Yes. yes. Sure, well, you did right, baby, but well, let's get out of here. No. you got no choice. Come Let on. Let go of me. Shut up. You're in the whole hotel and I... Let go of me. Come on, baby. Don't break Get you. away from me. Come on. What's going on in here? The hostage. Holding. I'm Can't... getting out of here. Can we are, both of you. Looks at that guy on the floor. He ain't going anywhere for a long time. That's to you. Here, reach, chum. This ain't no toy. Neither is... <laughs> oh, my hand. Now, let's get going. There isn't much more to tell. You were at the trial. You know the rest. I'm back at Moore Prison for good. As a real prisoner this time. And Bucky, he's got a few hours before they take him to the chair. Mrs. Cross? What is it? Bucky Briggs is just outside the cell. He's due to go in 15 minutes. He wants to talk to you before he goes. To me? Yes. All right. Doesn't matter anymore. Briggs, it's okay. Five minutes, Bucky. And we're just outside. Hello, baby. I don't have anything to say to you. Yeah, but I've got something I want to ask you before I go. It's bothered me ever since I was nabbed. All right, ask. Why didn't you leave when I asked you to back in that hotel room? Why? <laughs> what are you laughing about? As if you didn't know. Know what? If I went with you, I knew it was the end for me. What are you talking about? You wanted to kill me. Me kill you? How do you figure it oh, out? Oh, stop acting, Bucky. It doesn't make any difference now. All right, so I double-crossed you the night you escaped. I called the tower exactly two minutes after you left. What? So that's how they picked me up so fast. I thought you knew. What a sap I've been. What a sap. Bucky! You're 
dirty double-crosser. Does he keep away? Oh. Help! Double-crosser. Oh, with his hands. So here and now, I'm starting a new movement for Inner Sanctum Mysteries. From now on, our slogan should be, when you grab a throat, stop and think, then stroke, don't choke. <laughs> Before we say goodnight, friends, here's an epitaph for the tombstone of Gladys Cross. Here lies a good heart rent asunder by a man with a soul full of thunder. A sweetheart named Stephen tried to help her get even. Now they all live in peace six feet under. <laughs> oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum Mystery novel is I Hate Blonde. Good night. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Sherlock Holmes, followed by Jack Benny. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.